All right. They said, preach the word, Psalm 137. If you'd like to open your Bible up to Psalm 137. And I, I just want to say welcome to all of our guests. I'm so glad you're here. I know there's quite a few of you that are here uh, from Texas. You're getting out of the Texas heat, and you're our welcome guest. We're so happy you're here. Some of you are visiting from in town. We're glad you're here. You're our honored guest, and we really hope that you feel encouraged and that you'll come back and, and make Gateway your church home if you don't already, already have a church home. Thank you to the worship team this morning for meaningful songs. Uh, you guys, most of you probably at Gateway don't even know this, that right now we don't have a worship minister at Gateway, and so we have been passing the responsibility of putting together our worship to different uh, people in our congregation. And this week, Jay and Kelly Spray were the ones who it was their responsibility to put together what we did today. We're really grateful for them. And, uh, and so, yeah, yeah, it is great. If that's something that you think you might like to participate in or help us with, be sure and check with me or someone in the worship team and and uh, we, can, we can look at that possibility. Our mission here at Gateway is to grow closer to Christ and encourage other people to grow closer to Christ. And we hope that's what's happening here this morning. We always like to say two words. Just normally I say them and you can repeat them. But this morning I think we'll all just say them together on the count of three. Some of you are going, I don't know what words you're talking about. You want me just to say any two that I think of? You know, what do you want me to do here? So here they are on the count of three. One, two, three. Grace and peace. Amen. We never say peace and grace. We never say that. Paul never said that in the Bible. And the reason we don't say that is because there is no peace without grace. There's no peace between you and your spouse without grace. There's no peace between you and your entire family, your in-laws, your outlaws, all of them that you love and you hate, and all of them you got to see at Christmas and Thanksgiving. There's no peace in your family without grace. There's no peace between you and your enemies. There never will be any peace between you and your enemies without grace. And most importantly, there can never be any peace between you and God without grace. Most people prefer peace. I've known a few crazies, and you have too. We've all got maybe one in our family or somebody at our office. There's not one at our office, by the way, here at Gateway. I didn't mean that. But, uh, you know, you've all got maybe a crazy person you know in your community or whatever. And, and for some reason, it's weird. It seems like they don't want peace. Like they seem to love to stir things up and they love for things to be drama all the time. But most people, the vast majority of people, don't want more conflict. They want peace. But our peace gets interrupted, doesn't it? Our peace gets interrupted. And just as Jay and Kelly shared, and thank you for sharing your story of, of Caleb and when he was born prematurely and, and the brokenness and, and the sadness and, and the circumstances that take away our peace. And, and again, I want to say with Jay and Kelly, if you're here today and you're sad, 
You're broken. Your life is falling into pieces. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. Just like you are. Just the way you are today. And I hope that I hope that you're being ministered to today by being among God's people. I was thinking when Jay and Kelly were sharing that story, I was thinking about a time, oh, I don't know, a couple of decades ago when I was very, very sad. I was probably clinically depressed and I didn't know it and I denied it and you know, never you know, would admit it or get help. And I went, I was a youth minister, and I went to Encounter Camp, which is where our kids just walked out the back door and got in the van, be praying for about 15 of our people from Gateway that went to Encounter Camp at Lubbock Christian University. And I was there, and there's, you know, 800 teenagers singing praises to God, and I couldn't open my mouth and sing. Nothing would come out. I was so sad and broken. And their songs just poured over on me. It was healing. It was healing to my heart just to be among God's people that day. I hope that's the case for you. Another thing that interrupts our peace, and quite honestly, the thing that we're going to talk about today, because it comes right out of Psalm 137, is this right here. Some of us here today got very angry this week about something something that happened in your week and it was likely something that didn't seem didn't seem fair it didn't seem right someone hurt you someone rejected you someone ignored you someone cut you off someone knocked you down someone set you aside and it caused anger to boil up inside of you this week Or maybe it wasn't something that happened to you personally. Instead, maybe you watched it happen to another person and it made you angry. Your friend on Facebook posted something about a mutual friend that was definitely not true and it made you angry. Your boss mistreated your coworker unfairly. made you angry. Your in-laws were inconsiderate to your entire family, made you angry. Your spouse refused to shoulder their parental responsibilities and it hurt your children and it made you angry this week. White, hot, righteous anger boils up inside of us sometimes. Or there's another thing that happens. A few people here this week did not get angry at all, but you are angry all the time. And it's not real evident to everybody around you because it's under the surface. It's simmering. It's smoldering. It's waiting for just the right moment. I should say just the wrong moment for just that thing to happen. And then it explodes out and you can't even explain it. Or you might not even be completely aware that it is there, but something is not right inside of you. There's a low-grade fever kind of anger in you. And these fires of anger pose two great dangers to our soul. The first one is this, bitterness. People who are just angry all the time about everything. And it doesn't matter what's going on, they go to Walmart and they're angry. And it seems, it seems out of place the amount of anger they feel about the fact that a person got in front of them in line. 
And, and they go home and they're angry. And they go to work and they're angry. And they get in the car and they're angry. And this bitterness is just there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, a bitter root, this root that deep down in our soul, it's not just circumstances, it gets way down inside of us. And it causes, Hebrews says, trouble and defiles many. Some of you are experiencing this in your life. You know it. You've got this bitterness way down inside of you and it's messing up your life. It's messing up your family. Acts 8.23, one of the apostles said to a person, you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Bitterness leads us to go to sin. When we get bitter inside, then we go, i got to find something to make me feel good. And so we run to sin because we have this bitter root inside of us. Ephesians 4, verse 31, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness. It's one of the great dangers to our soul. Bitterness. If you're struggling with it today, I've been praying that God would minister to you as we read Psalm 137. It's no accident that God brought you here today. You may be sitting next to a person, your spouse, your friend, your mom, your dad, and they don't even know how bitter you are. It doesn't matter. They don't need to know. God knows, and He brought you here today to hear the language of Psalm 137. The second great danger to our soul when we have this anger that we start feeling is this right here. Apathy. Where we decide, I don't like the way angry, anger makes me feel, and so I don't get angry, ever. It's dangerous to somehow think that we are a better person, that we are more of a Christian, that we're more holy, that we're closer to God if we don't ever get angry. The reason I can say that is because Jesus, the perfect example for us, got angry. There's several examples, but the one that comes to mind is Mark chapter 3, verse 5, where it says that He was at church like he was here, and it was on the Sabbath, he was in the synagogue, but it would be like he was here at church, and he looked around in church in Mark 3, 5. He looked around at the people there in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus got angry. The Apostle Paul expected followers of Christ to get angry. In Ephesians 4, he says, in your anger, do not sin. He doesn't say anger is sin. He says, of course you're going to get angry. When you get angry, don't sin at that moment. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Some things in this world are just flat wrong. They are unjust. They are not right. And those things, when they make us angry, that is, that is a good response. And so when you're angry, I've described a lot of different possibilities here at the beginning of this. When you're angry, what kind of language are you going to use? Now, I'm not asking for examples, okay? I'm not asking for confession time for you to make a list of the words you said this week, all right? That's not really what I meant. What kind of language might you use? I've already said some of it. Some people say, you know, when it's a response to the anger they start feeling, oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's good. That's the language they use to talk themselves out of the true anger that's inside of them. Some people, on the other hand, give full vent to their anger. 
with explosive language, with fits of rage, with violence. Which leads to a cycle of violence. Language that says, I'm going to up the ante. Payback is coming your way. I'm going to go one up on you. An eye for an eye becomes two eyes for one eye. You hit my dog, I'm going to kick your cat. And I might kick your cat anyways. Because I don't like cats. And if that makes you angry, then this sermon might apply better to you today when we get done. I'm not sure what kind of language you use, but Psalms, the Psalms is what we've been talking about and we're finishing this short series today. Psalms give us, gives us better language. It gives us better actions than any of that stuff that I just mentioned. Psalms gives us languages for every season. We've talked about when we're thankful, when we have gratitude. We have Psalms that express the gratitude that is in our heart to God. I'm trying to encourage those of us, anybody, all of us here, but especially our Gateway family, to be reading, soaking in the Psalms, regularly reading a Psalm and seeing how it applies to the season you're in. We also looked and we saw when we're worried or when we're panicked that there are Psalms that help us trust in God and His faithfulness. When we're caught in a sin and we're caught in shame, there are Psalms that we say, language we use to pray to God. It heals. And this week we find language for times when we're angry. So we're going to pray and then we're going to read Psalm 137. We've just got a couple of things we're going to share with you that maybe will be helpful to us. Every week we pray for a different congregation of believers in our village. Today, in the rotation, it's the Presbyterians' turn to be prayed for. So we're going to pray for, uh, we're going to pray for the Presbyterian church and for Tony. And we also pray for a different subject each week that we try to emphasize and today we're going to be thankful for the gospel of jesus christ and our dependence completely on that so would you pray with me let's bow our heads lord i just thank you for this gathering this morning it's been good to be together here i pray for those students that are driving down the highway to encounter we ask god that you would draw their hearts closer to you and that they might encourage others to grow closer to you as well Pray for the children that are in class. I pray that they might not only be learning about you, but that they might actually be getting to know you better while they're in their Bible classes this morning. And for us as well, Lord, we pray that this would not be information today, but it would be transformation. Lord, we thank you for other believers uh, all over Ruidoso. And so today we thank you for those believers at the Presbyterian Church. We pray, God, that as Tony Uh, preaches today that it will be really clear that it'll be so obvious the gospel of jesus that who jesus was the perfect example for us that he died for our sins that he truly was buried dead on the third day he raised from the dead and that he is our only hope the work he did at the cross is our only hope the resurrection that he had is our only hope besides just dying and being done here and so, Lord, we just pray that that message comes clear. We, we know that you've told us that is the power to salvation. And so for that gospel, we give you praise today, God. We depend on that gospel. We do not depend on our understanding. We do not depend on our works. 
We do not depend on our church attendance. We do not depend on our sweetness or niceness. We do not depend on our, how many times we've read the Bible. I could go on and on, God, with things that we do not depend on. We depend on Your work, the Gospel. And we thank You for the assurance that You give us that it is enough that Jesus finished that work. So we thank You for it today, God. We proclaim it. Help us to proclaim it boldly, often. And so now, God, as we look at Psalm 137, please teach us, Holy Spirit, change our hearts as we read from this old, old text. We pray it all through the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Psalm chapter 137. Psalm 137. I just have to tell you, before we read, one of my best friends who knows me very, very well and often is involved in these sermons that I do, uh, what we do here, and my wife, probably two people that know me better than anybody else, when I told them I was preaching this, they said, good luck with that. That's what they said. So, let's, we've already prayed for better than good luck. This is a difficult text is what I'm trying to say to you. Psalm 137 is a difficult text. And if you didn't know that, you're about to find out. Here we go. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors ask us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to the foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Wow. For many people, it's shocking to hear this kind of language from the Bible. I've I've heard people tell me before that things like this in the Bible are the reason they don't believe in the Bible any longer. It's one of the reasons I think it's important for us to look at it, to understand better so that we can share with friends who say that. It's harsh, harsh language. But it has a historical context. This is about a historical event that happened. We see it in the first three verses. They are near Babylon. These are people who have been taken from their homes from Jerusalem and they are being taken into captivity or slavery in Babylon and they are right at the verge of going across the river and into slavery in their mind for the rest of their lives. We know the approximate year that this psalm was written because history tells us when this event happened. In 587 B.C., Babylon 
destroyed Jerusalem and carried off the captives. Now what is, okay, they destroyed Jerusalem and carried off the captives. Okay, next thing in history. Wait a second, let's slow down. What, what did they do? What do we mean they destroyed Babel, They destroyed Jerusalem? How did that happen? Well, first, the Babylonians came and they put the city under siege. I don't know, that's not language I use very often, but they basically surrounded the city. Nobody gets out. Nothing gets in. No supplies, no resources. Nothing is coming into this city. And they set siege to the city for about two years. No food. No supplies brought in. The prophet Jeremiah describes the horrors of a siege in his book that he writes. And I'll spare you the gross, awful, terrible details. You can read it for yourself if you're so inclined. But when the city is finally so weak, the king of Babylon orders his men to break down the wall of Jerusalem. And indeed they do. The soldiers come in and they begin to kill and they begin to destroy all of Jerusalem. History describes horrible things that were done to women in the city that I won't say out loud here. The old were killed without mercy. And indeed the infants were snatched from the loving arms of their mothers by strong, angry hands of soldiers from Babylon who then smashed those babies on rocks until they were dead. This was the common practice of the Babylonian military. Only the strongest and the healthiest were allowed to live, and those people were taken into slavery. Soldiers then began to march those survivors off for a 900-mile walk to a foreign land called Babylon. took them certainly several weeks, perhaps several months, to walk that far. And finally, this group of people is beside the river about to enter Babylon, and they're remembering all that has happened to their family and their friends back in Jerusalem. They are still weeping, and rightfully so, as they remember their spouses their parents, their children, their babies that were cruelly killed right before their eyes. And at that moment, as they sit crying, weeping, sad over all that has happened, if you could imagine being in their shoes, their captors, their enemies, the Babylonian soldiers make a request, sing us a song. Not just any song. One of those songs about Zion. Sing us one of those. It's a mocking request hey we're at the river we're almost to your new home guys we're going to be sold to the highest bidder where you're going to spend the rest of your life as a slave or a prisoner we're almost there why don't you guys sing one of those songs you know all the ones you used to sing you know about your god oh how great he was yeah let's sing one of those for us about the way that that god of yours is going to protect you from your enemies go ahead guys give us a song Can you kind of feel the burning anger that would come up inside of these people sitting beside the river? Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been kicked when you were down? The anger in those times rises, our fists clench, our teeth grind, our face turns red. 
our heart races and our imagination plays out what we might do to these people that are mocking us in those moments. That's what's happening to the author of this psalm. And his anger is rising. And he does three things. That's what we're going to talk about today, these three things. The first thing he does is this. He owns his anger. Verses 4 through 6, he refuses to sing. No, he's not going to do it. He protests. He commits to remember. I will not forget what happened in Jerusalem. I will remember what happened with the wrongs that were done there. And this is such an important step for all of us today who might feel angry. Can we see that below the surface of our own hearts? Are we willing to admit, I feel angry or I am angry? I've been thinking about this since last fall when I decided to preach this psalm in this series. And I've had to admit to myself and pray to God that I have some anger deep down inside my heart. It threatens to root itself in bitterness in my soul. I think I feel most angry when people hurt other people in the name of God. It's the thing that makes me perhaps most angry. When we can see, even right here at Gateway, a person who's being drawn to God, we see the work of salvation happening. God is drawing a person right toward Himself. There's a spark there. There's a small fire of love for God that's being kindled. It's such an important time in that person's life and another Christian comes along and says something that just drenches the fire that has started. Sometimes it's well-meaning and poorly timed comments. And other times it's just mean and selfish people. And oftentimes they're saying things that are true, that are biblical, that are right. But they're saying them with, at the wrong time and with the wrong tone and in the wrong way. And it's been helpful for me to admit when that happens that I'm angry and to begin to pray for God for His help and His continued work in my heart and in the heart of that new believer. I also feel angry when my Motives are misunderstood or they're twisted into something that just isn't true. A few weeks or months ago, I was accused by somebody of being very selfish and not thinking about the needs of other people. And that definitely can be true about me. I'll be the first one to admit that sometimes I am selfish and I don't think about the needs of other people. But in this particular instance, the exact opposite was, the true, was true. I was actually working hard behind the scenes for the needs of others with the hopes of encouraging and lifting those people up. And boy, was I angry. And I was just about to let my anger fly and, and take over. And I was about to start a fight. But there's power in owning it. There's power in simply saying to ourself and God, Lord, right now, I am so angry. And that's what I did. That's not right. Help me know what to do, God. And there are other things that make me angry. It's good for all of us to be honest with ourselves and honest with God about the anger we experience. And that's what the writer of the psalm does. First, 
He owns his anger. I am angry. The second thing he does is he prays his anger. This is where the prayer starts, is in verse 7. This may seem a little strange to us, perhaps. I was never taught in VBS growing up to pray angry prayers. I was taught to pray prayers of adoration, of confession, of giving thanks to God, of asking Him for the things that we need, but I was never taught to pray angry prayers. But the Psalms give us angry prayers. Notice a couple of things that are important. The psalmist doesn't give full vent to his anger. He doesn't come to God and say, God, I hate these Babylonians. I hate their guts. I want you to wipe them off the face of the earth. They're the scum of the earth. Nuke them all. Get rid of all of them, Lord. He doesn't do that. We're going to see more of that in just a moment. He also does not deny his anger. He doesn't say, oh, oh, it's okay, Lord, it's okay. Bad things happen all the time, and I'm a good person, and I just don't get angry with other people. He doesn't give full vent to his anger, and he doesn't deny his anger. What does he do with his anger? He prays it. He doesn't feel like he has to be syrupy sweet. He's honest and he's real. And his prayer is this, remember, Lord, what a strange thing to pray to God. Dear Lord, remember what do you mean, remember? I mean, he's, he's God. Are we praying for this forgetful, sleeping God to wake up or something? What, what is that about? That's not a request to wake God up. It's a prayer for God to act. Lord, remember. Act. Do something about this, God. This is not right, Lord. Remember what they did. And here's the third thing that they, that the psalmist does in his prayer he limits his anger and that may seem strange as you think about this harsh language because that language seems brutal or barbaric but the fact is the author is simply asking god for justice that's all he's asking for an eye for an eye lord do to them what they did to us that's all i'm asking for lord Someone has to pay for what they did. There is a debt that has racked up. And it's not okay for them to get away without somebody paying for this, Lord. And this makes logical sense. They smashed our children, so you, Lord, bring someone to smash their children. That is fair. That will even the debt that is owed. And while the language is harsh, it's better than the language we're given by Hollywood. Hollywood says, revenge times ten. Liam Neeson says on the phone to the captor who has his daughter, I have a special set of skills. And if you let my daughter go now, you may live. But if you do not let her go, I will seek you, I will find you, and I will kill you. And I will kill all of your family. And I will kill all of your friends. That's Hollywood. I mean, that's actually an inspiring scene. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie, but it's inspiring. It's like, whoa, Liam Neeson, that guy's awesome. Wow. You know, if my daughter ever gets in trouble, I hope I can make that phone call. You know, I have a special set of skills. I can preach from the front of a, you know, what am I going to say? Okay. So it's like inspiring and we get excited about it because it's like revenge, man. That's what Hollywood gives us. Get them back times 10. Kill them all. Nuke them. 
The language from the Psalms is better than that. The language from the Psalms is better from certain therapists who say, vent everything. Just get it out. It's good for you. Say it all. If it's in your brain, let it come out of your mouth. I know some people who I think went to that therapist. I've been around some of them. Or the language of the Psalms is better than puritanical, moralistic Christians who say, we don't get angry. Stuff it down. Push it down. Don't admit it. Don't let it come out. The Psalms give us something better than all of that. It's a basic prayer for justice. And so if you're angry today, for instance, if you're angry because your business partner scammed you and left, you, left town with your life savings, a prayer for justice is an appropriate thing. But the exact words in this psalm are not an appropriate prayer. Lord, my partner took my money. Kill all his children. That's not appropriate. That's not justice. It's revenge. But a prayer for God to remember and do what's right. And just with this man, and do what's right and just with this man who stole my money. That's a good prayer. Nobody stole my money, by the way. Just using an illustration. This biblical language helps us do something important with our anger. We admit it. We take it to God. We limit our request to justice instead of lusting for revenge. And all of this language can be very good for our souls. And I encourage you, use this language from the Psalms when you are angry. A couple of important last things before we finish. We're almost there. The subject of anger is not only about each of us personally. We need to be aware. We need to remember the people around us and be sensitive to what they are experiencing in their own life. Otherwise, we can end up maybe accidentally being like those captors who ask for songs of joy. We would never say that to somebody. Hey, sing us a song. But we might say something like, hey, what's your problem, man? Get over it. Stop acting that way. Put a smile on your face. Get in line with the rest of us. What's your deal? We might end up being just like the captors at the rivers of Babylon. I recently heard a story about a flight attendant. In 2001, she was on a flight from New York to Los Angeles. She had had a long day. She was tired. People weren't all being very nice. Some of them had been rude to her that day. And it was the last flight of the day and a man got on and he's carrying a trash bag. She said it's one of the pet peeves of flight attendants. If you happen to use trash bags, I'm giving you a hint. Go to Walgreens and get a $9 suitcase. You'll make your flight attendant happy. So he comes on with a trash bag. He goes to the overhead bin. He puts it in and then he stands there kind of as, it's, you know, he's like in his seat, but when people come by, he kind of covers it and he keeps like keeping his hands up there and protecting it and making everybody go by. She's really frustrated with him. She wants to say something. She holds her tongue. The guy looks like sketchy anyways, kind of angry or upset, and she's not sure what's going on, what's in that trash bag, and it was just a weird situation. And then they take off, and they're up in the sky, and their seatbelt sign is on because they're going to hit turbulence soon. But this man comes walking down the aisle to the back of the plane where she's seated and strapped in, and he stands at the bathroom waiting to get in. She says, sir, sir, the seatbelt sign is on for your safety. Please have a seat. He goes, I know it is, but I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to wait here. I'm, I, I need to go to the bathroom. 
She was frustrated again. What is this guy's deal? People are so rude. What is his problem? But something inside of her, she thought, I'm going to do better than that. So she asked just a general question. Are you traveling for business or pleasure? And that's when the gentleman said, neither. My son was one of the first responders in the towers. And I went to New York from L.A., to get his uniform. It's in that bag at the front of the plane. It's the only thing I have left of him. And the flight attendant said she suddenly remembered every traveler on an airplane has a story. And we don't know their story. We need to be careful and sensitive. We in this room, we travelers who are on our way home, where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and me. We need to be careful with our fellow travelers as we go. Not so quick to judge. Not so quick to say what's in our brain. We can refuse to repay anyone evil for evil. We can bless those who persecute us. We can live at peace as far as it depends on us. We can refuse to take revenge. We can leave justice and wrath in God's hands. Just as Russ read for us today from Romans 12. Speaking of God's hands, you and I have the benefit of living on the other side of one other historical event. An event where God actually did answer this prayer. Psalm 137, he did remember the loving arms of those mothers and the angry hands of these soldiers that smashed children on rocks, and our God did do something about it. But what he did is surprising, as God's actions often are to us humans who seem to think that God's like us, and he's not. He's other, he's different, he's completely different than us. What he did is surprising. God took his own son, God took his own child to a rock hill. And he allowed his son ashed against that rock called Calvary. He allowed his hands to be nailed to a cross. His son paid the debt for all the wickedness done by evil people in the world. And that includes us, folks. We are depraved, sinful people. And if justice for enemies is to bash them on the rocks, then you and I deserved to be bashed on the rocks. Because Romans tells us, when you were God's enemies, Christ died for you. Jesus took your place. And while He hung there, He prayed, Father, forgive them. Which gives you and me more language better words even than Psalm 137 to add to our honesty about our anger. I'm going to finish today. We don't do this very often, but I'm going to finish today by just asking everybody in the, in the room to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm really just doing that so you can give privacy to the people around you so that if they want to respond, they can do that privately. And I really appreciate everybody who bows their head and closes their eyes right now. And I'm just going to ask you today 
if you're a person that this message was for you, that you're struggling with a lot of anger or some kind of undercurrent of anger or exploding, something that we've talked about today, it, it is something that you need prayer for. I'm just going to ask you right now to raise your hand if that's you. Okay, I see you guys all over, all over. All right, you can put your hands down. And I'm going to pray specifically for every one of you who raised your hands. In fact, I'm going to invite, I'll invite the whole audience to do this if you would like, but those of you who raised your hands, I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Repeat it in your heart. You can repeat it out loud. You can whisper it. You can say it. But I invite you to join me in this prayer. Repeat these words after me. Lord, I'm angry. I admit that. I'm turning this hurt and pain over to you. I'm turning this debt over to you. Deal with it justly. And Lord, help me forgive this person or people. Lord, help my heart to heal from this anger. Lord, don't let bitterness grow inside of me. Lord, give me a heart like Jesus. And Lord, give me strength to pray with Him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back to sing this final song today. And... uh, If you do need prayer today, more than what we've just done, we certainly uh, would be glad to pray with you. When we get done with uh, this song, I don't know what the order of worship says, but we're going to have a circle that goes around. Is there a? Is that what we're supposed to do, Twyla? So as soon as as soon as we get done with this song, we want to invite you just to make a circle around the outside wall, and we everybody's invited to stay. We're gonna. What we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple of songs with these four men who were baptized today. That we, it's our tradition here at Gateway. If you need prayer, you come while we stand and while we sing.